Welcome to the Band of Brothers podcast. The Band of Brothers is the men's ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. The we are on right now is winning at work and home. We are being led by Pastor Greg Mott, Jason Swigert, Eric Reed, Ben Pritchett, and several other ministers from the church. We're glad you're joining us, and we hope you have a blessed day. Uh, our speaker today, our teacher is uh, is Ben Pritchard. He is the Minister of Education. If you did a quest last year, you may remember him. He taught a lot about marriage. He's real passionate about the, uh, the marriage relationship, as I hope many guys in here are. And uh, we're going to pray for him, and then he's going to teach us about being a daddy. All right? We're going to do a little series on daddies. Let's pray. Father God, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today. God, I, I am so thankful that you are the only sure thing in life, God, and that our, our trust is, is, is in you and not in, in, uh, in other people, God, not in man, but in, but in you, Lord. And we pray, God, that you'd give wisdom to all the new leaders that are coming into office that our nation has just elected, that you would guide them and that they would do your work and do your will and not their own. Lord, speak mightily through Ben right now. Uh, open our hearts, God, uh, whether or not we're a dad right now or will be someday to just help us to know, God, uh, how we can be godly men raising children to be godly as well. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Good deal. Good to be back with you. And I know that uh, you've, had a, uh, you've had a great experience already in this session. And uh, last, last year, uh, I did get to speak to you a couple of times about marriage. And I was really excited as uh, Eric came to me with these topics about raising children. Just a little bit about myself, uh, God has, has uh, gifted me uh, through the years with three children, and uh, my wife and I will celebrate our 40th anniversary next spring, and so uh, to, a lot of what I'll share with you is out of my own life and my own experience, and, and, uh, you, and several of you maybe uh, around the room have your own children already, and, and so you're experiencing some of the joys and some of the excitement that I'm going to share I can tell you that there is absolutely, other than the marriage relationship itself with your spouse and all that it means and the way it completes you, there is nothing perhaps to me in life that is more rewarding than uh, your relationship with your children. And uh, I can tell you too as we start this session that it will be one of the most profound and important, underscore that, and repeat it, the most profound and important task that you undertake in life. I am absolutely amazed at this point, having been uh, married nearly 40 years myself and uh, coming up on 39 years, facing 40 years in ministry, that I'm amazed in both my congregations and churches, but also in our society, how much we talk about the importance of that, but how little sometimes the attention gets given to that. Children uh, are not uh, wired to um, just learn all of these things naturally, and uh, they are wired indeed by God to need our input. And so when God gave them to us, He gave them to us for a brief while, and oh my soul, for such a brief while, it will be like that. I can promise you it will be like that. How many of you have little children already? Little kids. How many of you have some that are getting on up in uh, their school years and maybe even a uh, young adult or at college? Well, I can tell you this, and uh, every one of you have heard this from someone in your life that's older than you, 
And uh, I always stress it when I get a chance with young adults, and the predominant crowd here is young adults, it will go like that. And so don't put off things. Don't think, well, I'm going to get back there. I will go back and do that. Or as we go through some of these notes, uh, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to do that one of these days because I want to tell you, you'll blink your eye and it will be gone. And some of you dads that have the uh, sandy tops up here uh, can uh, tell that, uh, verify that that's true. Well, let's get started. Let me see. I'm working. Brother Eric is so awesome and has helped me with our slides to get going. And uh, so it's a little different program for me than mine. So if I goof, I'll run it back. Y'all just stay with me. Okay, let's look at uh, uh, thinking about all of this. Uh, one of the things that uh, Robert Lewis, and he is just awesome, he is an awesome writer, an awesome teacher. And one of the things, uh, little stories he tells is about the, the dad that um, is um, going through the grocery store and he has uh, his little um, preschool child uh, with him and he is by himself and the child is just doing everything that a preschooler can do. Uh, probably about a four-year-old, I guess, the way he was uh, discussing it. And he said as he walked through the store, he was just trying to keep himself composed. And, and there was a lady who walked up behind him and began, you know how sometimes you just get in that grocery store and somebody tracks along right on your, your path. It just sort of gets almost, to me, a little embarrassing when you just keep running into each other. And, and this lady could hear him saying, that's okay, Ronnie, that's okay. Don't You don't want to do that. Just hang in there, buddy, hang in there. You can do it, you can do it. Up and down every aisle, she heard this over and over from him. Then, and subsequently, they wound up at the uh, checkout stand at the same time. Finally, she said, I can't help but tell you, I followed you a lot through the store, and I wasn't trying to overhear, but that is fantastic. I just heard you encouraging Ronnie and telling him he can hang in there, and he said, oh, no, ma'am, you don't understand. I'm Ronnie, and I was just trying to get through the store and uh, not lose my cool. I understand that. And some of you uh, probably do too. <clears throat> I uh, I can remember like it was yesterday. My oldest daughter, uh, if some of you go here uh, and and had preschoolers, she did a brief, uh, uh, almost uh, two months uh, of uh, interim work over in our preschool work. She's now the preschool minister over at uh, Metropolitan Baptist here in Houston. But my oldest daughter, uh, who is uh, well, I won't tell her age. That's not nice. But uh, I can tell you this: she has her own two children that are three and five years old, and uh, she has completed seminary in several years in ministry. And uh, I can remember like it was yesterday uh, when I went home from my church and, and uh, had lunch with my wife, and uh, she, she, we, we were just so excited about our first child. And I remember this sort of funny, funny thing that happened with Kathy. I, my wife is Kathy. I ran home, and I, I put my arms around her, and I reached around, and I petted her big tummy out there, and I said, uh, wow, sounds ripe to me, you know, you know, sounds like you're about ready uh, for the picking here. And uh, we started eating lunch, and my wife's water broke during that lunch. And so uh, she, uh, as, as some of your wives may be this way, my wife will not go out of the house unless she's fixed her hair and put on her makeup and done everything. So I'm, you know, the minute that water broke, I go ballistic. 
You know, she handles crises well. I do not handle crises, especially when it comes to broken bones and blood, blood or anything. And so I'm just living, I've been living in this constant fear of, uh, we're about 22 miles from the hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, where we were at at the time. And uh, she goes to the bedroom, and I'm, I'm thinking she's getting her bag and just running like crazy. And I'm out in the car. I've got everything going. I run back in to get her, and she's in the shower and she's cleaning up and, and getting all ready to go to the hospital. And so we get in the car, and I remember um, then, um, uh, since she had been casual about the whole thing, I, I tell her, I said, well, let me just swing by the office and, and tell everybody that we're going to be going. And we're going over this interstate bridge, which if I had taken the interstate, would be the direct way to the hospital. And I said, uh, you think you can make that? It would be an extra five or seven minutes off the track here. And she said, sure, and I just wheel off and get on the uh, interstate, and thank God we did. We got there. And then, like many of uh, you, we went through several hours of labor before we had our, had our first child. But I will never forget, I will never, ever forget going around, and, and you guys that are having children today, that was back in the day when I walked up to a delivery door, and, uh, and they took her, and I didn't, I didn't know anything. I'm just sitting out there with a bunch of nervous dads and and folks waiting on, on the children. Uh, and uh, she, um, I remember the doctor coming out and saying to me, well, you've got a little girl. You've got a little girl, and she's beautiful, and, and she's got ten toes and ten fingers, and everything looks great, and we're excited about her. And he said, now you can go around to the nursery window there and, and see her. And so I go around, and, and in that day and age, I mean, it's just nothing like it is today. This was a huge hospital in Memphis, Tennessee. And... Um, um, you know, the, the nursery was not even on the same floor where the delivery was, and so I went up and through the hospital and got over to the nursery and uh, get back there, and I'm looking there. I'm just standing there looking at this little precious gift from God and thinking, and the reality of, of, of being a dad was gripping me, and I feel this tap on my shoulder, and the, it was my doctor or her doctor, and he said, now, I just wanted to follow you around and, and tell you once again when you looked at your first child, she's okay. He got any questions? And uh, I said, well, yeah, I'm glad you came because I was really worried her, her hands and feet are so blue. And he said, we just fingerprinted her. You know, so I didn't know what had gone on. They had cleaned it, but it left a stain. And uh, it's just one of the most rich, rewarding experiences. There are times in life, and some of you have probably uh, heard some of uh, Bill Cosby's material, just wonderful stuff on being a parent. But one line I remember him saying uh, one time that I got to go hear him live was he was talking about raising his children. He said, he told his son, he said, listen, don't mess with me. I can take you out of this world and, bring, and, and make another one just like you. And so, you know, there's times when you're raising children, you, you feel that way. You know, I, I heard Bill Cosby echo in the back of my mind quite a bit. Well, let's get started on your notes. He gives us some wonderful points. Many of you, any of you read George Barner through the years? George Barner is a great Christian uh, researcher. He has written many, many books that we church leaders and pastors uh, look at because it tells us uh, the pulse and the finger of uh, just like uh, many of the polls that we've just gone through in ad nauseum with the election. But he uh, researches life, and he gave us uh, 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 several points, uh, about ten, I believe it is, to what, uh, what makes a 
healthy family. And so let's look at your book and let's fill these in together. The family is characterized by strong, supportive, and honest, honest communication. Communication is so important. Speak the truth to each other. Let your, your wife uh, know that. Let your children know that. You want your children in much of what you're going to hear here emphasizes let your children see you and your wife in that way. Family members spend a large quantity of time together. I tell you, I've come through that age, and many of you uh, probably still hear this a good bit. I do, that, you know, it's not how much time you spend together. It's what? Quality time. You want to give some quality time. Well, there's a lot of truth to giving quality time. If you're sitting in the room, and you're watching a ball game, and your children are there, and you're absorbed in one of those exciting uh, moments in the game or the game itself to the degree that you don't even hear your children, recognize your children or your spouse, uh, then you're not you're not spending quality time together. But he emphasized here that it is important that you spend quantity of time together. And uh, next, family members share a common faith and practice. One of the things to try to emphasize in premarital counseling, one of the things we often talk with couples about is, uh, you know, the homes uh, need to be united in their faith. And uh, if that's not the case in your family right now you need to prayerfully conscientiously intentionally be the kind of witness in the home that helps bring that faith together it is important it's pretty pretty important it's not impossible and some of you are i i feel certain are in situations where maybe a spouse and you are on even a different denominational track uh it is very important if god can lead you all together to be in in the same track to where you have the shared common faith family members agree on key values that's so critically important obviously uh key values in life affect us a lot more than we realize what you believe about what is right and wrong in life in your in the core of your being your fiber is so critically important family members practice love and mutual appreciation don't be afraid to be a cheerleader for each other. Let let um, your children again see that in you uh, for them. Let them see that in you for your spouse and vice versa. Family members sacrifice for the good of one another. Family members sacrifice for the good of one another. You all, you know, if I probably shared this last year in, in when I spoke about marriage, but the absolute secret to uh, having a great relationship with your wife and with your children is when you reach the point that it is far more important for you that they are fulfilled and that they are blessed and that they are everything God meant them to be. When that becomes your mission, rather than what I need, what I want, what I expect, you will be well on the track to having a happy marriage and raising children that know that you're in their court. And that's so important. Family members have common goals and interests, common goals and interests. Uh, it's just a lot of fun. Interests, believe it or not, setting goals in life and, and working toward the same thing is, is very important. And how do you convey that? You share that. You talk that. Uh, Kathy and I raised three children. I mentioned my daughter. Uh, <clears throat> we have two boys We have uh, uh, and one daughter, and now we have t- uh, four grandchildren. And um, it's amazing, I know. I, I wouldn't think that either. But 
I have four little precious lives coming along now that I'm getting to impact in a different way. Uh, but uh, it's so important that you share and openly discuss things and, and bring the family together so that they know, even as young children, that they're contributing. Now, you and Mom, you just you, you may sometimes listen and, 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 and let them talk and then do what's right, but you bring them into that and share that. And they need to... Interest is another thing. We're going to talk about personality a little bit later in this thing and how important personality is. All of us, every one of us, when God gave us our personalities that begin to develop and shape in life and life experiences for sure and for certain uh, can affect those, but He has wired each of us to be who we are. He has equipped us with everything we're going to need to fulfill His will. But He depends, just like in all of life, God did not make us robots. He expects us to do certain things. He expects parents to do certain things to help raise their children. And interest is a critical part of that. Family members demonstrate trust with one another. Demonstrate trust with one another. It's so important that you know how it feels in life yourself when uh, you feel that someone doesn't really trust you or believe in you. And we convey that to our children. That is incredibly important. Incredibly important that they know you trust them. And I know that when I uh, w had my children coming along, one of, the, one of the things, and you don't just tell children once, and, and those of you that have children already understand that, but you don't tell them once and then say, whew, got that lesson in life over, son, daughter, uh, I, I trust is important, I want to trust you, and I need to believe in you, so we're, in, we're on the same page. But you have to demonstrate that. You have to demonstrate that by letting them trust you. You have to demonstrate that by letting... Again, what you and your wife model in that home is so important. If they see the two of you distrusting the other, uh, it, will, it will affect them. Husband and wife engage in regular sexual intercourse. God wired us to be intimate and, and loving and caring. And if you do not have a strong, healthy uh, sex life, then that is going to reflect in you and your wife's relationship. It will reflect in the home. It will cause an, a, a cloud to hang over that whole family if there's not a healthy relationship there. And suffice it to say in this discussion, not on marriage but on children, if that's not healthy, then you and your wife need to open some dialogue to work toward making it healthy. And... Uh, I'll leave it there till they ask me to teach that session. Husband and wife have a firm parental coalition in raising children. Can't say this enough how many times, and you've witnessed it, when mom and dad are on a different track. That is disaster. If you, are, uh, you believe in uh, strong uh, discipline and your spouse is very permissive, you've got problems, and you're going to be sending mixed messages to that child. And again, the thing I, I listened as I went through these materials, I kept thinking uh, how much we do not realize that child needs all of our input. Conscientiously, in reality, they need these messages in life. And that so many times I hear parents blow it off. Oh, they'll be all right. They're just children. Children can bounce back from anything. Children are, man, God wired them to where they just they can adapt. That's a bunch of hogwash. 
children are wired, but they do not adapt. And I don't know how you see the world in which we live in, but the more uh, I have uh, experience in life and the older I get, I look at what's happening in society. And, and one of the singular problems besides our own individual relationship with our Lord and our spiritual, spirituality is the breakdown of the family, the breakdown of the home. And every society in history from Rome and all of the great empires, one of the first serious, visible, significant changes that started their decay was when the family broke down. It is just the way God has brought us into this world. He gave us families for a purpose. Well, let's look at then what uh, what your child needs you to know. Uh, Robert uh, Lewis sort of uses this uh, little way uh, to discuss this, and I liked it. Just imagine if you one day your child, very young child, could say, hey, Mom, Dad, let me explain to you what you need, what I need, rather, in life. These might be some of the points that we would go through. Very important. He would say, first and foremost, I need you to know somebody must be there for me in the early years. It is critical for my development. Oh, my soul, how important, how important that statement is. It, those early first five to six years are so formative in life. God has put us together and wired us in such a way that we need that development. Every single uh, book on psychology and sociology and all kind of uh, studies of our, our mental capacities and our personalities will tell you that most of that gets gathered in us and takes root and comes together in those first five to six years. Now, that doesn't mean if you're sitting here and yours are past that and God's come into your life and you've got things right in your life and now you're on a track that it's all undoable. Only God can unscramble eggs and God can help you go back and get that life on right perspective. But if you're sitting here today and you've not started your family, if you're sitting here today and you have infants or preschoolers, I just want to stress how important, how critically important those years are. Um, my daughter that I mentioned who is here is in the ministry. Uh, but sadly and very brokenheartedly last um, spring, her husband uh, revealed a terrible, terrible lifestyle that he was involved in and so their marriage has ended they've come to live here with us and all of a sudden here i am at this age and i've got a new normal because at, at 59 i had a my wife and i had the empty nest thing going real well and now we've got a three and a five-year-old under our foot and so it is such an opportunity though and i thank god that uh, while i would have never wanted it this way what an opportunity to take this little child at three and this little child at five and have input in those early, early years. So very critical. One of the statements he gives in there from Dr. Uh, Paul Meir is this. One of the things I have learned in my psychiatric training is that approximately 85% of a person's in ultimate personality is formed by the time he or she is six years old. 
The first six years are obviously the most crucial for a child in his or her development. The first six years, 85%. Many authors, many writers, many uh, psychologists who study this say uh, from uh, in another perspective that it all gets in there. It just gets developed and, and broadened out as we grow older. There's no doubt life, life experiences affect that. But you need to understand that the child would say to you, I need you to know somebody must be there in my early years. Then the next thing is I need balance of discipline, instruction, and love. Now, he gives a great little chart. And I, I, think, uh, I think that's in your books to where you can fill this out. You see the lines, the, the two continuums, on the top being high love, on the bottom being low love. Then you've got low discipline instruction to one side, and you've got high discipline instruction on the other side. If you were to look at how this works, it would be that, first of all, these are different parenting styles. One is neglectful neglectful that's down in the lower left where you've got a uh, low discipline instruction and low love L- neglectful very very uh i would say damaging way to raise our children but if we are students at all of what's going on in our world and our society we know that there is a huge number of people being raised in that quadrant where the parent has very little discipline in the, the child's life, uh, little interest and in instruction, and very low love. Sadly, it is true. Up in the upper left-hand side, high love and low discipline, you know, you love the child just, you know, tremendously, but you've bought into the idea that there needs to be very little discipline, that the child will find his way through life, and that you want them to be who they are, and you're going all these uh, wonderful accolades that they're going to develop. The third one over in the upper right-hand side is high love and high discipline, and that is authoritative leadership in the home and, and, and raising the children. And finally, down in the lower right is the authoritarian. You've got high love, but uh, uh, I mean, pardon me, high discipline, but low love. So, you know, the, the love is not expressed. The love may be felt, but the love is just not expressed in the home. What is expressed is a very high demand. And uh, it is incredible how this affects us. Now, one of the things that Robert Lewis points out is that most dads are naturally wired because we're busy, we're focused on raising the family, we're focused on providing for the family. We tend to fall in, our natural tendency seems to fall in that high discipline, low love. Do as I say, get this done, let's do, be this way. And by the way, I do love you, but i got to get on and make life happen. And mom, mom's there and she can love you. That is a recipe for disaster. First of all, let me tell you, in this age, and many of you there, Mom's not always there either. Mom herself may fall in that quadrant, which leaves a child uh, really the most damaging of all styles of leadership is that authoritarian area. Uh, it is um, stories after stories. Robert Lewis talks about George Brett, the great baseball player back in the 80s, and how that he uh, 
shares later in life how how hard and pressing his dad was on him, how that nothing he ever did quite got to the mark, and it left him always striving in life to be just a little bit better. And you might say, well, isn't that good? But he was so unfulfilled and so so brokenhearted. Everything he achieved in life was never enough. And so he became a driven man. He said even in 1980 when he walked off and there was everybody in the baseball world, and I realize many of you weren't there, but uh, in 1980, I can remember that. And um, uh, he, was, uh, he was just about to finish the year averaging uh, 400 in his batting. And uh, so every eye was on him. And, uh, and when the last game was played and the last hit was made, he walks off the field at 396. His dad was in the dugout, and you know what his dad said to him? And he writes about this and how brokenhearted it, it hit him again. He walked in the dugout, and his dad said, You know, son, five more hits, and you'd have made it. Five more hits. That's being too demanding, too high. So we really, really need to pay close attention to this. The most positive, pardon me, the most positive area is up there in the authoritative. There's high love. There is high discipline, but it's done out of love. And if you want to aim at and, and set your models on being in the most positive area to raise your children, it's in that area. I need to know my personality. I need you to know my personality and honor it. I said that a moment ago, the sooner the better. That is so important. <clears throat> You've talked about that, I think, before already. But <clears throat> I want you to know whether it's with your spouse, with yourself, or with your children, uh, you need to understand their personality and how they're wired. God really did wire us differently. And in fact, uh, one of the great myths in, in the whole personality thing is we tend to believe everybody thinks about life like we do. We don't realize that. We don't consciously say that. But we go through life expecting everybody to respond to things the way we do. And then another one of those myths is if they don't, they are obviously wrong. And so we, we can get wired in life to, to really set up a lot of natural problems for us if we do not understand that God wired us differently. Now, I think in your book there may be uh, one of these little tests from the Littires, uh, Florence and Fred Littire, who is also the source that my wife and I, when our children were very young, we discovered Florence and Fred Littire's little study on personalities and took the very same test that you have in your book. And lest I forget, and I'll try to remember to tell them at the end, Eric, but he has got some extra sheets back there, which if you have children 12 and older, get one of those. If you have children 12 and younger, uh, sort of make sure we get the 12 and over covered. But if we get the 12 and over covered, grab one of those, because here's the thing. If you'll get your children 12 and over, to sit down and take this, and then you and mom review this, it will give you a, a shocking and revealing uh, insight into their personalities. It's very, very good. And as I said, uh, my children, my daughter, who's uh, in ministry today, took this test when she was about 12 years old in our own home, this very same test. Uh, it is true today that that is a part of hers. Some of you may be familiar with the Berkman organization. I'm a trained uh, consultant and director, leader in Berkman processes today. And I just recently gave my daughter the Berkman. After all these years, it came out looking just like that 12-year-old back there. Uh, Dr. Berkman, in fact, in this area says that we are wired the way we are, and God uh, uses life to help develop us. 
experiences in life will change us some, but by and large, we are who we are the way God made us. And so we need to understand that, and I can't say enough about that, uh, how important that is for you to understand not only with your children, but with your spouse and with yourself. Once you understand those things, it really helps you understand the relationships better. I need you, Dad, to discover my bent and actively support it. I need you to discover my bent and actually support it. What he's talking about there, what is a bent? Well, we are all sort of, we have, we have those interests that I talked about. We have certain areas and gifts that God has put into us, and it is very important for us to understand that. Uh, you know, how, how does God, how has God uh, wired them? And you observe that because you're going to see that uh, uh, if you are begin to recognize their gifts, and we all have these ideas, we all have these dreams, we all have these visions of this is what I want my child to be, this is how I want them to behave. And if we're watching them and we're a little disappointed, you know, maybe it's not what we want, we have a tendency to try to bend them ourselves toward what we want, not how God's bent them it. And that is another recipe for disaster. I can't tell you how many adults I've dealt with in life who their issues track all the way back to the fact that they just had a warfare all the time because they weren't where uh, their parents thought they ought to be in their talents or their gifts. And indeed, I've heard of parents trying to stifle gifts. Now, uh, you know, I, I, Robert Lewis puts this way, if you begin to realize that your child has gifts and you're a little bit disappointed, it is not that child that needs to change. It's your attitude that needs to change. You need to have a whole different perspective on that. Um, you know, our, our son, I've got my middle child, uh, had all the syndromes of a middle child. He was a perfect textbook example. But he also turned out to be a, a very good artist. And uh, he... Uh, that began to show up, and I had a little interest in art. My wife did too, and so that didn't, didn't surprise us too much that it was there. But it just really was way off the chart, you know, for us. And as a very young child, he was drawing some really nice pictures and pencils and all this and crayons, uh, coloring hallways and that sort of thing. But it, 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 it was uh, very evident. Well, one of the things, when I say coloring hallways, one day I came home, and we were living in Atlanta at the time, and he had started... Uh, drawing a, a picture on his wall in his bedroom. Well, I did what all typical dads do. I blew up. I, I went ballistic. What are you doing? And, and I rang at mom and look at what he's doing. My wife, in tremendous wisdom, when we got away alone, not in his sight, said, what's the big deal? You can paint the wall. Let him draw. If, if that's coming out in him. And you know what? Together we did and we told my son, uh, this may be over the top and extreme to some folks, but, you know, it worked for us. And what uh, we went back after that experience, she didn't go in and say, I'll tell you what, Dad's fussing about the wall, but look, it's okay with me if you draw. We did it together. We went in and said, you know what, Mom and Dad's talked to us, uh, about this, uh, Caleb, and we, we just want to tell you, you know, you have to that wall. You can just draw and paint, and if it gets full, uh, we'll get some paint, and we'll paint it together. And I can't tell you how many times my son and I painted his wall and gave a new tablet for him. For some reason, now he filled up pads. I mean, he just craved. I, you know, a lot of children want coloring books. He wanted a blank pad so he could draw. And that was okay. We gave those to him. But we let him draw on that room and paint that room. And uh, 
I, I remember one time he had all the walls and even the ceiling. I had no idea how he had gotten up on the ceiling. Didn't want to know how he had gotten up on the ceiling. I didn't have a ladder up there, so I was scared to ask. But uh, he had even painted up on the ceiling. Now, when we left that house, and by then, when we left that house, he was in. He had gotten a presidential scholarship to the Atlanta College of Art, and uh, he was in college. And uh, then I got a little ticked with him as a young man because I've, whatever he had used, it, it liked to never covered. We painted it, and it would just come right back through. We painted it, and it'd come right back through. And now those, that was a different, different day. But uh, he was a grown man. I need you to know too much is too much. I need you to know too much is too much. He uses some very interesting, uh, gives us some instrument. Too much control, too much control will crush the spirit and incite rebellion. Again, we all know this. We've experienced it. We've observed it. Perhaps it's been your experience. But too much control, when we try to be that strong authoritarian again, like I talked about a while ago, low love, demanding all the time, it crushes the spirit. So, you know, James Dobson had that wonderful book, and if you hadn't read it and you got a strong-willed child, you need to read uh, The Strong-Willed Child because he talks in there, of how do you bend the will without breaking or crushing the spirit? God has given us that that yearning in life, and that's a very important. The next one, too much money spoils and pacifies. I will tell you, again in life, one of the really uh, earnest, maybe uh, as a parent we have the right motive, but it is wrong-headed, and that is just to give, 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 give. You know, we tend to want to give our children what we didn't have. We tend to give them what we think uh, other children are having so surely. And if you're not careful and you don't keep that in balance, they will just expect too much in their life and they will not appreciate those things in life. I can tell you right now uh, that I have run in and dealt with young couples in our church where what broke the marriage was this very issue. When one partner in the marriage knew no limits to what they demanded. And, of course, they get out on their own, and their pockets suddenly aren't as deep as mom and dad, and so they go ballistic in life trying to accomplish uh, that, those things. Too high of expectations discouraged. That is, uh, goes back to the George, George Brett story type thing. It goes back to this whole thing that if you paint a challenge that can never be met, you will leave that child growing with a burden, that they never were able to achieve what mom and dad wanted. I've stood by the casket with men and women who are weeping because they could never please their parents. Now, I want to tell you, these are folks that are in their 50s and 60s. It is something they will carry for life. You've got to remember much of what we're talking about. Those good experiences in life, we carry for life, but we also carry those bad experiences. And now you, you begin to hear this. There's a passage of Scripture that he shares from Colossians. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. It is so true. And, you know, all of this, if, if there's a picture I'm, I hope is coming across, this thing about child rearing is not something to be fearful of if we trust God and walk into it, but it is something that is full time. And it demands your attention. And I can tell you this for no uncertain truth. 
there are many a parent when they get children in their teens and in their college years who are wild and rebellious and disrespectful and undisciplined would give anything to go back. I mean anything to go back and lay the right foundation. But it's too late. Now is the time to dedicate. There is not a golf game more important. Listen, I love golf like the next. And I'm not knocking golf, guys. But listen, I am going to say to you, keep life in perspective. Watching ball games with your buddies, playing golf with your buddies, going fishing and hunting. I love to hunt like, the, like crazy. But I have not really, as I look back on my life, rearing my children, that's one thing I was able to bring back in in the empty nest years because my job in, in church required a lot of attention and time. I had to give my wife time so that relationship was healthy. There's just some things you might have to sacrifice, give up, so that you can give the time, quality, quantity time to your children. I need you to show me uh, what to believe by living it. Oh my goodness, how true this is. We've all heard it uh, said. You teach more by what you do than what you say. You can tell your children to your blue in the face how they ought to behave, but if you do not model it, you will not teach it. And they will be left lacking and yearning for a model. And they will look sometimes somewhere else to find that model, or they will follow your model. Uh, we were talking a few minutes ago, one of the points, and I, I skipped right over it because uh, uh, it was very interesting that he emphasized, uh, well, no, I guess it's on this one, where he's talking about uh, George, uh, not George, but uh, uh, Chafin's song, Harry Chafin, had the cat in the cradle. It's gone through. It was popular in my day. It came out. You still hear it today. But how that the dad didn't have time, didn't have time, but I'm going to give you time. Just wait, just wait. And then what happens is the child grows up just like him, just like him. It happens, folks. Model it. Live it. I need you to know you can wound me for a lifetime. Oh, how serious and how ter terribly important this is. We've talked so many things that can affect us for life, but you can uh, wound a spirit of a child. You can so greatly hurt them. Maybe it's that time when you explode in such an angry, angry way that it leaves a scar for life. You have got to, as a parent and as an adult, always keep, and the same thing can happen with your spouse, you've always got to keep in check and, and control your anger and your, your uh, discipline and the way you behave and speak to them. But many, many children are wounded for life. Um, Robert Lewis uses this illustration. He said, you know, when you first reach down and hug that little baby and they hug you and there is nothing more rewarding you, innocent, undeserved, just, you know, love from a preschooler. Uh, they know no better. It is one of the, the you know, you, they can be doing crazy things but crawl up in your lap and hug you and tell you how much you, they love you. And you are their hero. You are their hero. They think little children tend to believe you can do anything. You can scale any mountain. You can fight off any foe. You can do anything. But when they begin to observe in your life you mistreating your spouse 
or you're not doing for them the things that are right, or you saying one thing and then doing another in life. They watch that, and their wound is the crushing that their hero is not real. That is so true. Now, I don't want to paint something here this morning that sounds like, well, my goodness, it's just so big, it's so awesome, there's no way I can do this. Listen, there are no instruction books short of the Word of God. We have to walk through these things. It is sometimes trial and error. For the most part, most of these uh, issues that I've discussed, you're going to go through life, and you will have some times where you make mistakes. And then you've got to be big enough and disciplined enough and on top of your game enough to go back and, and deal with that with the children and, and spouses even. But go back and say, look, you know, Dad had a, a wrong response. I really did. And, uh, you know, one of the things that gets us so many times is displaced anger at our children. We come home, we've had a bad day, we've done something, somebody's done something to us, maybe it was a a fender bender on the way home or whatever, and we can walk in and our children can be doing the slightest little thing that uh, doesn't please us, and we can blow up at them. I remember hearing Charles Lowry tell about the time when his family was on a road trip, and they had gone into a restaurant, and the waitress had just been horrible. He was wanting to stop, get a quick meal, and keep moving. The waitress had just done horrible things service and the food was wrong the service was she was rude just just everything and uh she said charles was just so angry and so when we came out of the restaurant he said his son just did what any you know 10 or 11 year old boy do there's such a rock and he just hauls off and hits the rock with his foot kicks it but the rock went sailing and hit another car's um hubcap didn't do any permanent damage but Charles said, I exploded on him and just took his hide off for that kicking that rock. Whereupon his wife very wisely turned to him and said, Charles, is there something you want to go back and say to that waitress? Because it was displaced anger at his child. Very, very, very deep wound can be created. I need you to adjust your leadership style to me as I grow. We need to do that. There's, there's some, some key bills here. Let me hasten. Um, first one is coaching. From birth up to about 13, it's a directing. It's a coaching. It's sharing. It's a demonstrating in every way what to do, when to do it, where to put the foot, how to dress, how to pick out clothes. You just think of it all. You're teaching how, how, how. And that is the coaching years. 13 to 18, though, that has got to shift. And you have got to become more of the cheerleader counselor you're an encourager you're a problem solver you're helping them if there's a huge thing and you want to kill them during these years absolutely you do but i promise you it is you're they're going to get through it i always tell parents of teens they will get through it they will come out if you hang tough they will one day be a blessing to you again but during these years it is trying why because children are spreading their wings They're fixing to break free. God has wired it into them to start setting up that that motion where they're going to be out on their own soon. And just like a little bird, they've got to test those wings. They push those limits. And so it is a difficult time. And if you start...
trying to be a coach during those years and tell them, bang, 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 this is how you do it, that's when you get the eyes rolling and that's when you get all these sad little under-the-breath comments, which if you're not careful, then that sets up a terrible problem in the home. 18 and above, <clears throat> you become their consultant. You're listening and supporting. Having gone through all those phases, let me tell you, it's very rewarding to reach those adult years. I thought one of the most enjoyable things that suddenly dawned on me one day was when I sat down with my children, each of my children at different times, of course, <clears throat> and I realized I walked away. You know what? I just had an adult conversation. They responded, and we, di we dialogued, and it wasn't a dad to a child. It was an uh, adult talking to an adult. And that was a moment just like that. And uh, so it will happen, and now to this very day, I, I, nothing rewards me more in this phase of life than when my adult children out of town will call me and say, Dan, I'm facing a problem at work or I'm facing a problem at home or with my finances and ask for advice. It's very rewarding. I need you to make some great memories with me. That is so important. Remember, <coughs> pardon me, they're going to look back on life and those memories that you're laying now build some good memories. Find some time to take them along. My son and I, my artist son, the last thing in the world he likes to do is hunt. That just wasn't in his book. But I tell you, we had some of the best time when I was in Louisiana, and we would go duck hunting in the marsh. We never killed ducks. He would carry a pad, I would carry a gun, and we just had a great time in the marsh. Nothing like being in the marsh when the sun rises. I mean, absolutely great. Build some good memories. I need you to love God and share Him with me. Of course, the most foundational and important task is that uh, we as God's parents lead our children in a biblical instruction. They need to see your reverence for God. They need to see your fear of God. They need to see your obedience to God. They need to see your... They, they need to sometimes see you in your quiet times, in your, your closet. I've, uh, years ago, I always, I started, uh, and don't have time to talk about this, but I would do uh, uh, my, my quiet time in my, uh, an area of the house that was all alone. And uh, at first, I would keep the doors shut because I wanted to be in my prayer closet, you know, that whole thing. I wanted to be very alone. But I would realize, you know, maybe, maybe it's good. Not that I was trying to show anything, but what if the first glimpse my little preschool children saw was of their daddy studying God's Word? So I would leave that door just a little bit cracked. And sure enough, it wouldn't be long until I'd see those little little eyes see them. But they learned that Dad was in Bible study and they didn't come in and, and do that. My grandchildren haven't learned that yet. Uh, <clears throat> okay, here's, here's a closing thought. Children are God's gifts to us. They are not ours. They are just passing through. They are His. Keep that in mind. They are not your children. They are God's children. You are there. God has placed them in your life for a purpose. They are God's gift to us. Children are hard work. I've already emphasized that. But nothing brings greater joy in life. I've stressed that. This is a great scripture in 3 John. I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in truth. Um, in the truth. You know, um, I have, uh, there's a scripture in, in Psalms where David talks about uh, happy as the father who has uh, a f uh, many arrows in his quivers. And he's talking about raising children. 
And uh, real quickly, I've got to share this. It wasn't on my notes, but it, it occurred to me that, you know, one of the things that that passage of Scripture, I used to think, well, what does that mean? Well, somewhere along the line, I, I studied it, and, and he said, you know, when you think about an arrow, what does an arrow do? An arrow goes higher than the person who shoots it can ever go, and it goes further than the person who shoots it will ever be able to run. And it also accomplishes something at that moment that the person who shot the arrow could not do. And that is what every dad wants. We want our children to go higher than us. We want them to go further than us. We want them to get things done in life that we'll never be able to do. And then we will say, like the psalmist, that we have a happiness because of the arrows in our quiver. There's a little... Uh, video we want to show with you, show you as we close. I want to thank you, Dad, for always being there for me and teaching me that nothing is impossible. Thank you for never giving up on me, Dad. I appreciate it. Thank you for uh, being there, being at home. That really means a lot to me, so thank you for that. Thank you, Dad, for always being just across town, no matter how far apart we are. Thank you, Daddy, for teaching me right from wrong. Dad, thanks for coaching softball all those years and being silly with me. Dad, I want to thank you for making me become the man I've always wanted to become. I just thank you that you're a dad that pointed me back to the Lord, and I just, I'm grateful that you're in my life. Thank you for giving me the confidence to know that I can do whatever I want to do. Thanks, Dad, for teaching me never to give up. Thank you, Dad, for teaching me unconditional love. Thank my dad for showing me how to how to have a caring heart. Thank you, Dad, for the times we've spent together. Thank you for being a giving person. Thank you, Daddy, for coming to every soccer game that I ever played. Thanks for when it snowed for the first time on the ranch, how you built snowmen with me. You taught me how to handle adversity. You taught me to stand up for what I believe in. You taught me how to drive. You taught me how to throw that perfect spiral. You taught me to love nature. You taught me to always let my conscience be my guide. You taught me to be a good husband. You taught me to be a person of honor. You taught me how to be a great father. You taught me to have confidence in myself. You taught me to love God and have lots of fun doing that. You taught me to never, ever, ever give up. You taught me how to survive in this crazy world. You taught me that there's nothing I can't do. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dad. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. Nothing's richer than when you get some of those later in life. Listen, guys, I want to leave you with this thought. I don't mean to sound like, hope I haven't, that uh, we did everything right, that we were perfect in our marriage and our home. We have scars and wounds and disappointments and things where we, we miss the mark at times. But in the big perspective, as we take a step back, having submitted that to the Lord early in our lives, having sought to follow God's leadership, follow His Word, follow the instruction of godly leaders, for the biggest, most part, the, the mosaic is there, and it's, it's good. And when you get to this point in life, and your children and your grandchildren, there's healthy relationships. It means everything. Now, next week, we're going to get real practical, more specific, and we're going to talk about some steps that we can actually take to raise our sons and daughters the way God wants us.